Good morning and welcome to Words of Truth. This is uh, Willard Bass and Casey Glass. Casey Glass hey, is the. How about that? Exactly. Yeah. And we're excited to be back then on uh, on this podcast. And uh, it's been some time. Right now we're at once a month, but we hope to kick it up and we, we're going to do more regularly, y'all, because things are getting exciting. And today we have a very special guest uh, in our uh, space, and we wanted to uh, give uh, Reverend Russ May an opportunity to come and be with us and share with him all the good things he's done. I've known Russ, uh, I don't know, man, it's been 15 years at least. It's probably longer than that. But, That's right. Uh, Russ comes in from uh, the Moravian Church. I ran in contact with Russ when we were doing anti-racism trainings, uh, disciplinary racism trainings early on, and Russ uh came and, and brought some folk with him and uh, got involved. And then from there, he um, he founded uh, Anthony's Plot. And I'm going to let him you know talk about these things, but I'm going to name them as a part of his introduction. So then it went on from there. And then City with Dwellings, you all know a lot about that here, especially here in Winston-Salem area. And from there, he's doing this new thing. I call it a new thing, but really it's a, it's the a next step in the process, y'all. We do a lot of organizing work, right, and, and uh, justice work. And we have um, had some opportunities to invite folk, uh, bystanders, we call them, to be involved you know, more. And we think that that was necessary as a result of things like uh, George Floyd, things that happened with him, right, and some other folks. So he's going to share that with us. I'm excited uh, to hear what uh, Reverend Russ May is going to say about those things. But first, I want to give him an opportunity to just uh, say hello. And uh, if anyone wants to add to his bio, he's certainly welcome to do that. And uh, let's just get this uh, show on the road. Yeah, it's a real pleasure to be here. Um, Not a lot that I like to say except uh, everything that I do, I get to do in community. And so that that makes my... um, uh, any any accolades you might send my way, uh, I need to deflect that a little bit and say, uh, with Anthony's plot, I love that for the last 12 years, been doing that in community with folks who have... Um, relocated their lives uh, into uh, uh, an existence in neighborhood over in the Sunnyside District of Winston-Salem, not to fix or solve problems, but rather to um, live a life that points towards uh, restoration and reconciliation within ourselves and and in relationship with our, our neighbors who themselves drive our life, what our life together looks like. So um, when we talk about the things that, that we get to participate in, that I get to help lead in, uh, in that neighborhood, such as uh, the, the start of the Sunnyside Freedom School in the neighborhood. Um, it's born of neighbors saying, uh, this is what we think thriving and flourishing looks like for our family or for our, our neighborhood. And we get to dream that up together. And it, it really inspires and, and, and roots us in a way that just doing programs can't. Uh, so I, I really always am grateful for the opportunity to do things in relationship with other people versus just trying to grab a good idea out of the sky and, and, and see what it looks like in practice. And so anything we talk about today is, is just born of that same stuff. Uh, this active bystandership as, 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 a, uh, as, as, a, as a latest thing is not a latest thing. It's just a how do we uh, interrupt cycles of violence, you know, in community and relationship. So. so thank you very much, uh, Russ, for that introduction, man. Really, you um, got me thinking about a lot of different things. I mean, the whole journey that you've been on, uh, the idea of Anthony's plot, uh, to me, I kind of saw it as radical, man. You know, when you first started, right, the work that you're doing, putting a group of people together and and doing what we call, uh, what I might call alternative ways of living, and that is, you know, not 
not pursuing this idea of consumerism or anything around that, but, you know, getting together with a group of folks and just living, you know, from day to day, basically. And then, like you say, connecting with the community and being mindful of the things that are happening in the community. So I, I, uh, I want to say that I, I really uh, salute you for that. And, and like you said, I mean, the idea, I think what we have, what happens to us, at, at least the way our society is set up, is that uh, we, we are always moving forward, right? We, we're perpetuating the capitalist system and all those kind of things. But, but what happens is that if we're not careful, we're always looking for the next new thing. And what we tend to do, we're, we're intentional about point, always looking back and saying, no, this is not new. This is a part of the process, right? And so what we've done is that we have come uh, 15, 20 years now down the road with this whole idea of how we dismantle, um, you know, racism, you know, how we uh, deal with injustices in our community, right? And how we work with people who are now woke, right? There's a lot of people now that are waking up and saying they don't like the way things are and they want to see things done differently. And so even a part of that um Week before last, now you and I were in Chicago. Uh, we went to the to Appy, you know, which is a uh, an association of Pre- Presbyterian educators. Uh, not just a Presbyterian though, but Moravian as well as uh, um, uh, what's the name of the church? Well, there's another Reformed church. Reformed church. There. That's the yeah. one. Yeah, that, exactly. So those three major organizations were there, but at the same time, it's for this idea of going and getting this, this, this Christian education stuff, right? My words, and, and taking it back to your local places. And what made this one particularly different was the fact that uh, the organization now has committed to to work on diversity, inclusivity, and equity in some way. And um, I have to let you know, I went up there skeptical, you know what I mean, just because of the local work that I've done with the Moravian Church and with, you know, these different, uh, to Mara- uh, the uh, Presbyterian Church. Hadn't had a lot with the Reformed Church, but I was glad that I had a chance to even meet some of them. So um, to make a long story short, at least from my perspective, man, I was really um, enlightened. You know, I really felt fed. But the reason for that was the fact that the folks that they brought in, I mean, the the the, uh, the ones who brought the word, the theologians that they had, right, that were uh, exegeting the text and then bringing the message. It was all connected to community, what authentic community looks like, and using the words, you know, through Mo- Moses and those other, you know, uh, biblical prophets and uh, and uh, characters, if you will, in some ways that help enlighten and bring light to this idea of what it means to be community today. And that's my take, and I'm going to let you say a little bit about that, too. So I'm looking forward to working uh, with them now a little more. I told Christy that I'm committed to going forward with that as long as they stay on the road for what it means to me to be an authentic community. So so tell me a little bit about your experience there. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I want to go back and say something about what you said about our uh, many conversations over the years. And we've talked about uh, the role of uh, capitalism and, and, and kind of uh, uh, holding us back, I think, from from uh, these are my words now. I'm, I'm not uh, quoting you. Uh, capitalism as, as holding us back from the transformation that we need to seek and how, for me, that relates uh, directly to uh, traditional politics and things like that. And we've had a lot of good conversations around this. And I, I remember one uh, uh, lunch that we had where Chad Myers was in town and and we were talking about uh, the Moral Monday movements and and, and uh, the importance of uh, being on the right side of, of some of the things that, that were happening at that point in time. And I had some concerns because uh, Moral Monday was starting to link a little bit politically, like just with uh, we need to get this person elected or we need to get these things pushed through. And we've got these politicians who can help us do that. And my, my politic has some hard times with that. And I remember both you and Ched in the conversation ultimately elevated this piece and 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 this is what has stuck with me and that is um but if we trust those who are leading us there 
then it's easier to follow and to be in dialogue about how we do it better every day. And so um, I just have appreciated the relationship that's born out of trust with you um, and, and other elders who, who are um, showing me the way. So when you talk about folks being woke and things like that, I mean, I, I, I may be waking up, but I'm also learning to follow, I think, um, uh, leaders uh, well who I trust. So when we look at, at what was coming out of um, in Chicago, uh, out of the, the, the conference there, I think there was some great material. The question is, who are, who are trustworthy folks in the communities that can be empowered with this um, uh, awareness, these uh, tools that people will follow? Right. Because a good idea, as, as many of them as there were up in Chicago, uh, is just going to fall flat without trustworthy folks showing people the way forward with them. I, I was really inspired by it. I thought there's some incredible leaders. But ultimately, the question is, in the, for me, in the, uh, in the room, who are those trustworthy folks that can have some assistance in articulating what is happening and what's on their heart, what it's called for, but who have developed those relationships where people will Trust them. We'll follow them, even if it looks radically or slightly different than what their um, uh, theology has said, what, what their family of origins have said, what their politics have said. So I'm, I'm hopeful that people will walk out of there putting it into practice and leading other people in their communities. So uh, to the point, um, that's, the, that's the question, right? That's the challenge. That's the opportunity that these folks who came as the designated educators and lay people uh, to bring a word. I mean, um, uh, Roger, um, and I'm going to mess his name up, Niyosaki, Niyosaki, uh, he said that, and he said teacher. He says a teacher is someone who brings a word, right? And he said that word is a word of hope, right? And he kept on emphasizing the idea, you're all a teacher, right? And then he actually said, well, what word are you going to bring? And he put that in the room, right? So we started putting, throwing things out, you know, what's your word? What's your word? You know, and so I really like that because that when, when they go back to their community, they got to bring a word. You know what I mean? And the word has to be a word of hope. Right. So the challenge, though, that I see in most cases, this idea, though, is the fact that if you have a if you have a, a leadership structure. Right. That does not provide an opportunity for that word to be spoken. Right. Then you've got a problem. And that's basically what we what we what we're seeing in the, you know, traditionally. I hate to say it with the Moravian Church and with the Presbyterian Church and you know even the Baptist Church. I don't I don't say that the Baptist Church does not have its issues as well as when it starts talking about uh, tradition and the way we do things and the things we should hold on to, right? But we should at least be open to the word. We should at least be open to hear the word and then figure out what we're going to do with the word. So I wanted to put that in the room uh, as we uh, move on. And so then you were a speaker up there. So talk a little bit about. Uh, the, the message you brought, and then we'll get right into this idea of bystandership. So, sure, yeah, and 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 just to be clear, like, uh, well, I'll, I'll say what it is. It, um, active bystandership was was the topic that that I wanted to focus on. I was asked to respond to um, a, a scriptural passage that someone else was preaching on, but to respond to it just purely practically, or 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 um, how do we put it into action? And uh, and so I, I was thinking about that passage, and ultimately thinking about what empowerment meant. That was the word that I. I was given to, to use, and I thought about what does empowerment in my community look like? And I had been wrestling for uh, um, for a while, at this point about a year, a little, a little under a year, with uh, two, two images that, that, that really were haunting me. Uh, one was uh, it, the, the George Floyd trial in which the, uh, the EMT uh, and firefighter, Minneapolis firefighter, um, 
she had uh, was off duty and she had um, heard or seen the commotion around uh, the arrest of George Floyd and his suffocation and uh, was approaching and recognized the vital signs. Uh, he, he was dying and was trying to intervene and had been interrupted from inter- So all this coming out in the trial. Um, she had been interrupted from intervening with the statement. These are her words, uh, uh, paraphrase a little bit, um, that um, uh, if you really are a Minneapolis firefighter, uh, you would know to stand back. And, and that, 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 that paralyzed her. And, and also hearing the testimony from the other bystanders there, they uh, had yelled, they had pulled out their camera phones as cameras. They'd done a lot of the things, but when they went to engage further, they were communicated to in a way where in their mind they said, I will die if I move forward. And so they were paralyzed by words as well aimed at them. And so this group, an appropriately sized group to interrupt violence, was stuck in that moment. And And I thought to myself... Would I have been stuck? But yeah, I mean, like, I think we have to be realistic here. Um, I'm watching from from a uh, fly's angle here, fly on the wall angle. But not if it were my daughter. Like, that's what I kept thinking. If George Floyd were my child, I would not be stuck. Like, all those words would mean nothing to me. I would be unstuck. And I would be unstuck because I would know exactly what I was going to do when that moment came, especially if I were the parent to a um, black child and were, 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 were raised in this context of what does that mean uh, for my child. And so I, I, I would find myself, I think, unstuck by the relationship. So that that was kind of happening. And then at the same time, I was really haunted by um, something that happened here in Winston-Salem where we were having protests um, in the summer of 2020 uh, um, about some of the same things. But here locally, it was about um, transparency from the sheriff's department because there was um, a death with someone who was in their custody. And uh, the Neville family was trying to um, address that. And in the middle of that protest, which is about... Uh, problematic situations with our law enforcement uh, um, and sheriff's department. Right. Um, they, the protesters were uh, um, faced with an act of violence by the, by, by the law enforcement to someone whose mental health was not great. And we're having to figure out what do we do so the same thing doesn't happen here. And I've talked to the people who are at that event and they were already processing what creative action do we need to do to stop this, including get naked in the street, which, by the way, is a very uh, gospel-oriented activity. I see a lot of nakedness in the Bible, and That's every right. time someone gets naked, someone gets away, so right. it, it works. That's right. So those two things were on my mind, and, and, and I'll, I'll kind of pause here. Those two things were on my mind as I thought about that word empowerment, and how do we step into those situations and prepare for and empower our folks for different outcomes? So uh, that was a very good uh, overview, right, and and an example, if you will, of this idea of the kind of community that we want to have. You know, the idea now where we are, what's the next step, if you will, for Winston-Salem, Forsyth County, in this journey, right, to build a flourishing community, in my words. And so we believe, you all, that we have to begin to understand what it means to be in situations where opportunities will come up for us, right, as bystanders, and that's not like something that um, I had to talk to uh, ask uh, Russ to give me more clarification because when the first thing that came to my mind about a bystander is like, you know, someone is standing on the side, it's like, you know, kind of what I do with that. But then he gave me, and I'll let him articulate that again, this idea of what, what really means is a bystander. Any opportunity where you're in a situation as a, a person standing looking at something and you can actually do something, you could create, you could create 
something with that, right? So that really helped me, you know, to understand this idea of bystandership is not it's not uh, inactive and it's not far off. It's right there um, in the moment, you know, prepared to do things. And and you know, of course, the Bible talks about that a lot. You know, we can use examples to see where you know folks step in and did things because of the fact that injustice was being done. You know, the idea that someone is being harmed or someone would be being mistreated unjustly. And so, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop there and let. Uh, uh, Casey kick in. He's been sitting here a lot while quiet, so I'm giving an opportunity to chime in as well. So, what's up, Casey? I mean, it's just really interesting to hear <clears throat> about um, the progress that has been made with kind of the bystander, active bystander approach to things, and um, I, I really think. Uh, although there's a beginning there, like you were talking about, there's still a lot that needs to be done to teach people how to overcome that fear and really to get in there. Cause it can be scary. Like I've had experiences, um, that were nearly, not nearly as, um, uh, uh, you know, um, dramatic as, as, you know, the joy George Floyd situation. But, uh, I had an experience once where one of my colleagues at change of shift said something rather, um, off-putting about uh, COVID parties and Hispanic people while one of my uh, residents of Latino heritage was coming on. I was, and I had to be like, look, man, that's just nonsense. And we can't be talking about that stuff. You know, this is not the place for that. And uh, hopefully that resident didn't mention anything to me, but hopefully they appreciated that. But even there, I got to tell you, like it was a a moment of a decision where I was like, you know, am I going to go after this? Right. Um, and really kind of encouraging people that, you know, that there's no way to move on from this sort of thing until normal people stop accepting that when they see it. Amen. Exactly. So, um, some things that come to my mind is that what we're, what we're saying community is that, uh, we want to, uh, be more engaged. We believe that all of us, uh, are created in God's image and that we're all good. And that in order to stay good, we believe we need to use that goodness in order to be able to make an impact in our community. And so, um, uh, I know in my life, I had a lot of opportunities, you know, to be involved and the result of my doing the work with IDR and, uh, the freedom tree and now the share cooperative and the truth and reconciliation work that we're doing and justice collective is all this idea of, you know, what's next? You know, what else can be done? How can we get other people involved? And so I'm glad to say that in a lot of those organizations, there's different people. It's not the same people. It's people that that resonate with that part of, if you will, uh, uh, that part of the work and have willing uh, to uh, come forward, you know, and, and learn. And so um, what I want us to do now, Russ, is you tell us about specifically, you know, answer these questions about what it means to be a bystander in some situations where we can do that. And then also at the end, we'll talk about some ways some people can get involved. Yeah, we'll do. So I, I think first off, uh, when we're talking about bystanders, I appreciate you bringing that up. Sometimes we think about the passivity of, of, of people in a situation, but we are talking about people who stand in a space and uh, those can happen. Those spaces um, and intersections happen intentionally, such as at a protest or, or march. They happen um, uh, unintentionally or serendipitously, like when we're just out and about and we witness something. They happen communally or environmentally, such as just existing at a school or, or, or something. And they happen professionally, such as being a member of like law enforcement. And so what we're looking at is some, a training that works in every one of those situations to prepare individuals so that, and I do appreciate kind of the, the, the comments about um, 
am I going to do this? Uh, um, uh, uh, and you didn't say this, but like, uh, am I brave enough to do this? You know, if um, I use the example of someone drowning in the water, if we're, are we brave enough to jump in that water after that person? And that's certainly a piece of this, this puzzle. And we need to process that. Right. But, but it is also more about what do I do? It's just the planning and preparing um, so that you can avoid things overall that ultimately create a redemptive situation. So the, the bravery actually is just taking the step. It is not that the outcome is necessarily going to be um, uh, as consequential as it would be if you didn't take the step. Right. So, I mean, what we're talking about here is a, is a training of, of looking at uh, how, how do we talk about scenarios how do we talk about, you know, what is the least, um, l- the, the lowest level of physical engagement to achieve the goal, which is interrupting uh, harm doing, a cycle of violence? Uh, how do you engage other people? So it's not like just you, but it's like, how do you talk to other people in a way that empowers? We learned in the, in the studies that were done by Irvin Staub, who is the kind of, uh, one of one of the writers behind this. And um, he said that uh, when, when children were simply given language that empowered, or even when they asked questions in a situation where someone might need help, everyone asked the question and everyone moved. And so the goal is to create a community movement where possible. This training um, just it, it happens in the same way, very similar to IDR's approach. I mean, we're talking about intensive trainings with a lifetime of learning implied. Uh, so you may be able to get a segment of training in a week or something like that. But the goal is that you continue to to grow and learn and have conversations with people. Your churches have conversations with one another about what this means. Um, and, and, and it really is, is nonviolent training in, in, in a way that's similar to the Institute for Dismantling Racism. Um, churches can do this, and, and they can uh, bring in this trainer or training program and, and learn together how, if we found ourselves in these situations, we could be better prepared to help another person. But what I'm really excited about is that law enforcement can do it. They can bring it in professionally. It's called ABLE, Active Bystandership for Law Enforcement. Uh, one of my towns that I used to huh. live in, Allentown, Pennsylvania, right. a, a, a town about the size of Winston-Salem, just started implementing it recently. Oh, okay. And so it can be done here in Winston. And the schools can do it. And, and I'm mindful of the work that uh, Triad Restorative Justice and IDR have tried to do with the school systems over the year, the school system over the years. And this feels like a right partner for that, too, to help, especially starting at middle school and high school, to help students to learn how they can be engaged in supporting one another, interrupting cycles of violence whenever there's a bully um, or, or, or a negative situation occurring. Because we have found in the studies that students who are simply trained, they don't even have to put it into practice, they're simply trained, have a greater value of the school experience, a better sense of, of positivity about that environment than they do without the training. And that that can transform a school culture as much as anything having to happen right. uh, in the first place. Right. So that's that's kind of the training you have in a lot of different uh, areas. But ultimately, we're trying to empower those four types of bystanders um, through training that's very similar to the kinds of uh, programs you guys have done. Okay. Uh, so that's cool. Uh, what I want to do though is to also uh, share Russ the work that you've done at Freedom Schools, where you see this as a as a tool that they'll be able to use too. So talk a little bit about the Freedom Schools, how many we have, you know, what's going on with them, and uh, and then opportunities for young people in the Freedom uh, Network to learn about this bystander training. 
Yeah, so the Freedom Schools, the, the obvious connection here, and also with uh, restorative justice work, is that um, a lot of the students that or scholars that come to our Freedom Schools um, are often the recipients of um, bad uh, disciplinary approaches in, in the systems, and they often get uh, pushed out of the school system, or they aren't uh, their needs, uh, their social emotional needs aren't tended to in a way that allow them to re-enter the uh, classroom well or the community well, and so you end up with kind of these uh, individuals who often can float a little bit apart from their, their their classmates or whole schools that can float out of the system. And it's like, how do we how do we bring these folks back together, which is restoration? How, how do we bring these classmates back together? What what this does is it also gives our, our students the ability to, um, to not let it get out of hand to begin with, to not end up with those situations where a student ends up having to be disciplined in such a consequential way. Mm. Um, and when students are empowered with this, they often can turn it internally too and figure out how do I interrupt my own cycles. So uh, Freedom School is a great place for us to uh, put this into practice for our middle school and high schoolers. Uh, Here in Winston-Salem, we now have nine Freedom School sites. Uh, They are, six of them are uh, directly attached to a local Winston-Salem Forsyth County Public School. uh, And three of them are more community-based sites. So mine is a community or neighborhood site. And, uh, but, but all of these students are public school students. And Freedom School operates under the, uh, a, a goal of a, a culturally relevant pedagogy and the social emotional wellness of the of the child. And it takes the time, it centers the scholar in the classroom to let them be a leader and a teacher of the stuff that we're studying and talking about together. And so we're serving about 500 scholars this uh, this coming uh, over 500 scholars this coming summer with our Freedom Schools. So in most cases, the Freedom Schools have been a summer initiative, right? Program. Yes. And um, but what you found, though, know, you know, through studies, uh, the impact of freedom schools for students that have this uh, uh, knowledge, right? This experience is like I mean, it's like tenfold. The idea that because what happens traditionally is students when they leave school and they have the summer gap, they learn stuff, right? So it's a continuous cycle when they when they stay out of education, they they you know. They don't have a way to reconnect, and they just get further and further behind. And you can articulate it, but I can't rest because you know the data. But I just wanted to share this idea that freedom schools are such a very important piece of a of a child's life, of a community's life, of a school system life. Because what it does, it, it uh, closes the gap on the ability of, of a student to uh, you know be reading, be engaged, and stuff, right? And learn the habits, if you will, of good education. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the gaps are, are what we're looking at. And so the gaps occur during the summer, like you said. So every single summer where learning is not happening, uh, which mostly happens to students who are of lower income, um, it creates a, a bigger gap every single year. Just add to the uh, the the. the expanse of the gap in learning. So by the time you get to, to high school, you really have two different tiers. You have uh, students who have been able to do summer learning and those who have fallen multiple grade levels behind simply because of a lack of that opportunity. But there are other gaps that exist too. Whenever you discipline black uh, male students in a different way for the same offenses than you do their white counterparts, and you do that through uh, out-of-classroom or out-of-school suspensions, for example, you create a big gap. So disciplinary uh, approaches by the school system create the problem. Whenever you have a curriculum that doesn't center um, studies appropriately on black and brown and and, and BIPOC uh, students in the same way that it does uh, Eurocentric studies, you create gaps, and they're eventually going to not be interested or not be in the center of learning in the same way their white counterparts are. 
Freedom School is t- trying to tackle all those things, but it is a summer pro- it's a six week program. So the best way we can tackle those things is by bringing the school system along right. or infiltrating the school system and bring it into there. Leave behind evidence of what we're doing. Involve the teachers in our Freedom School program so they can carry that stuff into the the year round school program, and leave those books behind in their libraries. Right. All right, so uh, we've covered a lot today. Uh, certainly want to make sure that we uh, are aware of the fact that um, everything that we do, we believe, is is a continuous process. It's transformative. Uh, I've known uh, Reverend Russ May uh, for over 15 years, and to me it's been a continuous process for him to mature. I'll use that word. Uh, and I'm really just you know proud to have him as an advocate of mine, and I know that whenever I I need someone to have my back. He's one that I can count on. So I want to thank you for your coming and being with us today. I'm hoping that this podcast will get out and uh, folks will respond and uh, reach out to you and the work that we're doing. Again, the idea of um, of this uh, podcast is uh, to get words out, truth, if you will, um, truth in words, and uh, bring folks to awareness where they can have hope. Right, where they can feel good about themselves and where they can find a, a place where they can be engaged in the work as well. So thank you all very much for coming. Uh, Dr. Casey, you want to say something? Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, Russ, are there any websites that we can link to in the, the show notes or other places people can go to learn more? So a, a, a quick search on, on training active bystanders would give somebody um, access to some of the same materials um, that, that are available for that. Uh, Freedom Schools is a Children's Defense Fund uh, national program, national movement. So if you look up the Children's Defense Fund, CDF, uh, you would be able to find out some info on that. And the collaborative group that we have here in Winston is the Winston-Salem Freedom Schools. And you can be looking for more information about that uh, in the next few months. Sounds great. So there's a lot of critical things going on, y'all. You know that here in North Carolina, we're still dealing with this uh, redistricting. Uh, the maps have been, uh, uh, you know, presented a second time, and the the, the uh, courts threw them out. And so we're waiting to see what's going to happen there. Of course, we have an election. This is a mid-year election time, so we're going to be uh, looking for folks, you know, boots on the ground to help with that work. Um, there's some interesting things going on as far as organizations uh, to address, you know, um, eliminating violence in schools and providing uh, engagement for youth, if you will, so that they are, are, are more welcome, right, and feel like they're a part of this community, uh, as well as uh, some of the things that we're doing. You remember, or you don't remember, but uh, last month um, we talked about the idea of addressing uh, past uh, injustices that city county planning has done, revitalization, they called it, uh, there's some injustices that were done. We're still working on that work, so stay you know, uh, up to date with us on that and help us to move that along. Uh, come join us and be a part of uh, Words of Truth, the idea of us uh, speaking together, loving together, and doing the work that God has called us to do together. Uh, thank you all very much for being here, and we'll see you on the journey. Peace. Thank mm-hmm. you.